1: To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, David Getoff. He's a very interesting person. He's the author of Abundant Health in a Toxic World. Uh, He's a certified clinical nutritionist and traditional naturopath. He's an internationally recognized expert in nutrition. Diet and the use of nutritional supplements and detoxification. Uh, he has lectured and continues to lecture at uh, dozens of scientific, medical, nutritional, dental, agricultural conferences across the U.S. Full disclosure: uh, David is a member of my Finding Genius Foundation board, and there's a very good reason for that. I think he's uh, he's really excellent when it comes to health and medicine. David himself, unfortunately, uh, contracted acute myeloid leukemia a number of months ago, and he appears to have. Uh, gotten himself out of it. And what I understand is doctors told him that uh, 100% of the people that get it at his age uh, die from it. So he's living proof of, of what he does. But uh, welcome, David. Thanks for coming back.
2: Uh, my pleasure. Anytime I can help educate the public or anybody willing to know or, or wanting to learn, which is a uh, small portion of the public, sadly, I am happy to do so.
1: Well, first question, just to really jump in. and you know, Since you know so much about health and nutrition, et cetera, I'm sure some people would say, well, if he knows so much, then why did he get acute myeloid leukemia? Was he doing something wrong? So would you address that first, please?
2: Sure. Well, it's interesting. You've got all sorts of different people we have in the world, and a number of my patients, uh, I don't know what that number is, based on what has been said in a lot of cards that have been sent to me. It's higher than I thought. But a number of my patients are very religious in whatever their religions may be, and uh, those people said, you know, we put you in our prayers, and, and obviously you were meant to get this probably so you could experience what it's like to be in that position because your patients are, but you've never experienced it. Some people have said maybe it's because that way you will be um, more believed if you have gotten rid of something that you actually had. That's that's things people have said to me. As far as I'm concerned, uh, it's very clear. Whether it's right or not, it's very clear. Uh, most cancers, and leukemia and lymphoma specifically, but, but most cancers, uh, one of the main causes, and in many cases the only cause, is a toxic load buildup of the body we call body burden that has gotten to the point that it is preventing the immune system from doing its job well enough. And although I specialize in detoxification, which I go over in my book, Abundant Health in a Toxic World, I do more detoxification (laughs) sadly with my patients, uh, only the ones that are really interested, than I have been doing over the last 30 years with myself. So for example, I take a number of supplements which support detox Lipoic acid and dual tox from one company, and uh, ACC Nano Zeolite from another company. A number of different things, and you know, vitamin C and stuff like that. A number of things that support detox, including kidney support, liver support. However, the long-term patients of mine that go anything you can do to make it less likely that I'm ever going to get a neurological disease, cancer, dementia, etc., I go well. In that case, we need to do continual detoxification because you can't stop it from coming in. Where you know where we live on a planet that has toxins everywhere. So with those people, they call me every time they've used up their last bottle of whichever detox agent I had them on, it might be called lawn and garden detox, uh, sick building syndrome, solvent detox, uh, roundup detox. I've got maybe 40 or 50 of them and some of them were made specifically for me. They call me up and they say, I've finished that bottle. Can I come in to be energetically tested for the next thing that my body wants to get rid of? And they'll come in every three months, four months, five months, and we'll test them for the next one and we'll go through another bottle. And the things that are really poisonous to them or that they have a lot in their body, they have a very hard time even getting the dose up to where I want it to be. Now, they'll start at like three or four drops, and they, they feel so bad as it starts pulling stuff out, they have to go down to a half a drop or one drop. Oh, wow. I haven't been doing that with me, okay? I've been doing all the other general things, getting support, liver support, but as far as seeing what I should be pulling out next and switching those from bottle to bottle, that's something I haven't been doing. And um, I guess my body told me, uh, excuse me, Mr. Get Off, but um, you've let the toxic load build up too much. There are lots of things we could give you. Uh, we're going to uh, choose um, either the worst or one of the worst leukemias called acute myeloid.
1: I guess it's like the cobbler's son has no shoes, you know, type right. thing.
2: Except okay. that in general, I mean, I eat all organic. You know, I I eat uh, grass fed beef and grass fed lamb and pasture raised chickens and eggs, and I take uh, thirty pills a day of supplements. It just wasn't enough detox. Whereas with the cobbler's shoes, the cobbler's kids go barefoot, that's the cobbler not doing his job or somebody saying, yeah, my husband's a plumber and the toilet leaks. No, if something in my house doesn't work, I fix it immediately. But that was just not quite enough.
1: Well, that's scary, though. I mean, this it seems is. like you eat really well and you do a good job, yep. probably compared to most people. And you still had this problem. So if you don't mind, what, what was it like when you first started getting sick? How did you notice?
2: For me, what I noticed was I started becoming out of breath and having less energy. Uh, you know, I'd be walking from my office to my storeroom to grab supplements that uh, I had to sell to the patient going out, and I would have to stop or walk more slowly, and as it got worse, I couldn't I couldn't get to the storeroom, which is only 40 feet away, and I'd have to stop in the middle and catch my breath, and then as it got worse and I had to stop my practice uh, for, you know, to see what was going on, I ran a bunch of blood tests and found that most of the things we look at in our blood, uh, red blood cells and hemoglobin and hematocrit and a whole bunch of different things, they weren't down somewhere in the range they're supposed to be. They weren't down a little bit below the range. They were way below the range. So of course, my body wasn't carrying enough blood. It wasn't carrying enough oxygen. And so that's what happened. It, It got worse than that. I ended up uh passing out in the shower uh luckily not killing myself or i wouldn't be here at one point i uh as this was i was looking at uh, lab tests had an appointment coming up with a hematologist to go in and have him take a look at stuff and discussion but they're all busy so it was way in the future and oh, at one point my wife saw me pass out and she just decided this is enough i'm not waiting anymore i'm not going to even ask him as soon as I came back, she asked me a couple of questions. She said you didn't give me coherent answers, and I called nine one one. That well, was that was the beginning. You. Over a period of months, I, I I mean I waited too long. I should have gone in for some additional stuff instead of just my testing. I should have really addressed it faster. But you know I was busy doing all my other things, and so I would stop uh, you know every ten feet, and and I was going to run some more labs and see if it was getting better, and it was slowly getting worse, and I wasn't addressing it. You know which is which is not good. You know, people need to address things not as fast as most people do. You know, somebody gets a sore throat and they run to the doctor. Somebody gets a cold or a flu, you know, and they run to the doctor. I was brought, by, uh, brought up by a mother who every time anybody ever got sick in our household at uh, 89th Street Broadway in uh, Manhattan, she wouldn't even consider allowing us to go to the doctor who lived in our building who was downstairs on the first floor. We could go into his office without even going out on the street. She said, it hasn't even been seven days. You're not giving your body a chance yet. And so most of the time, we never saw him because our body got well, as it does. But... uh you know, if something is really, really bad, and you're passing out and you can't walk ten feet. That's a little bit more than a cold or a flu, which I've never, I've never gone to the doctor for a cold. I've never gone to the doctor for the flu. I've never gone, well, I almost never get them. Never gone to the doctor for a sore throat. I treat it myself and get rid of it. But this was worse, and I should have gone in, and I didn't. That's that was the beginning.
1: Okay. Well, it's good that uh, your wife was there to kick you in the butt when you needed to. You know. Yep. That's very good. What is acute myeloid leukemia, and what does it do to people typically? Before we continue. The ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show.
2: Well, it it prevents your uh, cells in your spinal column from... Manufacturing what they 're supposed to be manufacturing and starts uh, giving you incorrect uh, incorrect cells body can 't make enough you know platelets it can 't make enough uh, red blood cells and hemoglobin and so i mean i, I didn 't check to see whether everybody gets the exact same symptoms that I got. Uh, I would expect that uh, it would be maybe those or those and more but that 's what happened your body uh, your, your bone marrow basically is no longer manufacturing and doing the things it's supposed to because it's been taken over by uh, cancerous uh, cells, by leukemia cells.
1: Right. And what did the doctors say? What was the prognosis? They said the the chance of you surviving was, what, zero?
2: Well, when I when I, I went in there, uh, the first thing they started doing, and here I'm laying in a, in a bed at uh, Scripps Memorial, uh, Scripps Mercy, in San Diego and they're running all sorts of different tests on me and uh, the cardiologist was there and the oncologist was there and the oncologist came in and said we're fairly certain you have a specific type of cancer but we can't, we can't be certain without doing a bone marrow biopsy so we, we need to do that and I said okay you know I mean whatever you need to do to know what I have uh, you can't treat me and uh, maybe even I would have a better chance treating me if I knew what I had I've been told that uh, bone marrow biopsies are very painful and she said, yeah, those are those are people that don't know what they're doing. Do it wrong. Um, no, uh, don't worry about it. And I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, yeah, my God, I had a bone marrow biopsy. It was so horrible, painful. Uh, she was right. You know, the people there knew what they were doing, and uh, <laughs> there wasn't any pain at all. It wasn't even like there was a little. There was no pain. So they did the biopsy, and then they had to wait for the results. And she came into my room. Uh, you know, I'm laying in bed. I was in the hospital for 29 days total. And she said, you have... Uh, acute myeloid leukemia, AML. And I don't remember whether she said it's the second worst or it's the worst form of leukemia. Uh, She said the uh, things we can use, in other words, the the agents we can use, the drugs we can use, and the prognosis that we have found varies based on age. She said, you're 69. Uh, In this case, uh, next month, I'm going to be 70. I'm looking forward to collecting my top high, super high social security starting next month because I waited until 70. She said, in your case, uh, anybody over 65, I think was the age she gave. Anybody over 65, we are restricted as to things that we can do. Uh, There are certain chemotherapy agents that uh, would kill most of the people over 65. We can't use them. Bone marrow transplants uh, would kill too many people over 65. I wouldn't have allowed that anyway because I've looked at the results and bone marrow transplants. That would be another conversation, but I wouldn't have have done that. But she said, you know, because you're over an I get, I think it was 65. Uh, we can't do any of those. Um, what, what I use with my uh, myeloid leukemia patients uh, are two drugs. One of them is uh, decidabine. It's an infusion where you'll be, getting, you'll be sitting in an infusion center after you get out because we can't do it in, inpatient. We're not allowed. But as soon as we you know, get you out of here, you'll be going in every three or four weeks. And for five days in a row, you'll get an infusion of uh, bacogen, which is dacitabine. And you'll be taking tablets of something called vanclexta. And that's what I find is the best. I have been doing research on it. I, have, I know more about this than a lot of the other oncologists around the country, maybe around the world. And I said, well, what, are, uh, you know, what, what, what results can you tell me? And she said, well, we get a response, response rate of uh, 90 to 95%, whereas people that don't know what I know and they end up having people on drugs they shouldn't have on, there's an interaction, get response rates of 65%. Now, the public doesn't understand that response rate has nothing to do with cure. It also has nothing to do with quality of life. So when my wife heard that, she thought that the woman had said, "I've got a 95% chance of beating the cancer." And Mm. she didn't realize until weeks afterwards that no response rate only means that they can see a a reduction in the number of the cancer cells. That's it. No correlation to life extension. No correlation to quality of life. No correlation to cure. And I knew that because I teach that. So I didn't say anything. Didn't want to get my wife upset. But way later. When I was uh, no longer in the hospital, and I'm now on these two drugs, I'm not, I'm, I'm not now, I've stopped them, but I was on the drugs, you know, we had a, a meeting with her, and I said, um, I need you to clarify something from my wife. She thought that you were saying 95% of the people in my category that you treat, you cure, and I told her that's not what the response rate is. Uh, response rate has nothing to do with cure and that you had told me that I had somewhere between two months, and if I was really, really lucky 24 months to live, That nobody lives with this past that. And she said, you are correct. And my wife started crying, and she got very mad. She said, so you're misleading people when you use the terms response rate, and they think it means something else. She said, well, that's what we're taught to say. And of course, that's true. That's what they're taught to say. So I was told... I was told that I had two months to 24 months, you know, not to count on the 24 months, because that's like the, 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 the luckiest people in the world get that much. Nobody uh, lives longer than that. And of course, I was told this in September. So we've got uh, October, November, December, January, February, March. I was told this six months ago. So I've got six months of that 24 months is already used up. But uh, I feel fantastic. And we're going to go over some of that stuff. So that's you, you. You asked what my prognosis was. That's what it was.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and
2: review us on iTunes.
1: When you first heard what you had, what what did you think? Like, uh oh. Or did you think, oh well, or were you afraid?
2: No, because of my knowledge and the number of cancers I've turned around with uh, lots and lots of people over my uh,
1: 30 years now of being in
2: practice, I went, well, looks like I got a lot of work to do. That's really what I thought. As a matter of fact, I'll go a step further than that. After I got out of the hospital, after having had, uh, I should go back to my records and count them, I'm not sure, somewhere between 12 and 20 blood transfusions and somewhere between 6 and 8 platelet infusions. But, you know, after I got to the hospital, one of my patients called me, it might have even been two, and asked me a very pointed, targeted question. They said, what did you do with all of the anxiety and depression from being told that if you're lucky you're going to live 24 months and then you're dead? And I thought about it for a second. Since I'd never felt any anxiety and depression, I wanted to give a, a good answer. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. I understand your question, and I understand that lots of people would have a different answer than I do. But because I've turned this around in so many different people, I don't know, I don't know if anybody's come to me with, with, with this exact leukemia, but I've turned you know, so many different uh, incurable diseases around, I wasn't the least bit worried. I knew that I was going to be able to see what additional supplements I needed, what additional detox I had to do. And I was not going to be one of their statistics. I was going to screw up all their statistics, and I was going to still live to be over 100, which has been my goal. And so I've never experienced any anxiety or any depression. And, you know, the, the, the interesting part about all this is that anxiety and depression depress immune function, and that's been studied. You know, if somebody really, really feels depressed or anxious, that depresses your immune system. Not having a, uh, a number of people around you, or at least one that supports you and doesn't say, you're going to do what? You're going to take supplements? You're not going to be doing what the doctors say? I mean, if you've got the wrong people around you, they're not helping you by trying to convince you what they think you should be doing. They're actually hurting your immune system and making things worse. Luckily, the only person I've got around me besides Tomka, who's my uh, 17 plus year old uh, Tonkinese cat sitting in my lap right now, uh, is my wife. And you know, we've been together for 41 years. She knows me. She she's seen how many people I have helped and how many. R- things I've reversed and, and sometimes even in her massage clients and, and friends. And so if she said, "If you know, I mean, I feel bad with what they say your prognosis is, but if you're not worried, I'm not worried. I'll support you in whatever you want to do. And I therefore didn't have anybody yelling at me like many of my patients have and do, which is sad that you're an idiot to follow this guy's advice. You know, you should do exactly what your doctors say. I didn't have any of that. And that's, uh, that's a good thing that I didn't have that. So that's like a, a little little side note.
1: Well, you mentioned that you are taking where you were, sorry, some of the drugs that they gave you. So you turned down one procedure, but you also did take some of their pills. Why did you decide to do anything traditional? Why not just, you know, okay, I know what to do. I've helped other people. I'm just going to go supplement and fix this myself.
2: Well, uh, that's a good question. You know, I mean, I let myself get uh, two down. You no know, way, way down, passing out, not being able to walk, had to be in the hospital for for a month, the beginning of which uh you know I needed help to just to stand up and walk ten feet to to the bathroom in my private room in the oncology ward on the eighth floor. that got better and better, and then you know the last couple of weeks uh, I just you know walked there myself I didn't even ring the the buzzer for the nurse, I just you know got up, disconnected myself from whatever they had me on if it was oxygen or whatever, and walked into the bathroom but there's no question that their transfusions and other things they were doing saved my life. And I accept that, you know, modern medicine does do some good things. You know, I, I I didn't have enough blood, I didn't have enough cells, and they gave me a bunch of transfusions. Really pissed me off that uh, they don't ask people whether they've been vaccinated, and so I couldn't specify I only want transfusions from people that have not gotten all the toxic garbage from any COVID vaccines. I couldn't make that specification. So, you know, I've, some of that stuff is now in me. Not injected, but, you know, whatever the, some of the residues are. But, you know, the the oncologist, we had a very nice discussion. Uh, I, I like her a lot, uh, Marin Feldman Xavier. She's done a lot of work with these drugs. And she said these drugs have saved the lives of a number of her patients. She said she has people who went back to work after a few months, you know, we don't know. It's not going to come back depending on their age group, but uh, it, it kills the bad cells. And, and yes, I'll agree with you, uh, Mr. Getoff, that it also kills a lot of the good cells. You know, we know that. We can't do anything about it, but it kills the bad cells. And so I decided that, well, you know, at the beginning we'll see what happens. I will let her use those. She said that those two are not technically called chemotherapy, that uh, especially because of my overall otherwise healthy body. Uh, I probably would get no side effects at all, and I didn't. Didn't lose any hair, didn't get nauseous, you know, nothing nothing at all. I mean, I uh, I ended up with a slight cough for a while, which went away when I stopped the drugs. I trusted the things she was saying along with my, uh, you know, going back and forth with her and then grilling her on different stuff, that this at least for a while was going to do more benefits to my living and staying around so I could do my stuff afterwards than if I were to refuse it and you know, might allow myself to die because I wasn't letting her kill enough of the bad cells. Are you there?
1: What specific detoxes did you do?
2: What specific detoxes did I do? Uh, I take ACZ, ACZ Nano, which is a zeolite, but I've been taking that for years. The only detoxes that I added was I started taking glutathione. Uh, there are a lot of companies that have it. Most of them I don't like, but, you know, I carry the ones to my patients that I do like. So I started taking glutathione. And there's a company called CellCore Biosciences, I believe. They have a four or five detox product. Uh, and everything was based on, uh, on muscle testing. Well, as soon as I got back into my, my house, I brought over one of the surrogates that I use, a person that I can test myself through, so to speak, if any of your any of our listeners want to Understand a little bit more about muscle testing so you know what it is and what it isn't. Uh, go to my website, you know, davidgetoff.com will redirect you. Go to my website. All the way down the bottom, there's a photograph of me pressing on a woman's arm, even though that's not the way I do it. If you click on that, it will bring you to a 90 minute lecture I gave presentation I gave on muscle testing at a holistic cancer conference in San Diego. And after you've watched that, you'll know a lot more because I'm not going to go into it all now. But I mu- tested myself through a surrogate to decide what I needed to do. And a couple of supplements I was taking, I stopped. A couple of other supplements I added, which we can go over some of the immune supplements. I brought in one of the core products. At uh, a very low dose, that's what my body wanted. You know, uh, A month or two later, it wanted a higher dose. A month later, it wanted a different one of their products. So the, the thing is that people want cookie-cutter medicine. That's what they teach in, in medical school. Everybody gets treated the same. If you have this problem, you get this product. And if you then uh, you know die from the side effects of it, uh, well, they that was the one we were supposed to prescribe. Whereas if you're working with somebody that knows how to properly muscle test, which in my rough guesstimate is 10% or less of the people that are doing it, most of them don't know how to do it correctly, uh, then you're getting things targeted to the best thing for you. And so uh, although I will certainly answer when you uh, ask me what are some of the immune-enhancing things I took, I mean, I will tell people. I'm I'm not trying to hold anything back. I want people to understand that if I had four patients with the exact same condition, They might or might not test for some of the same things or totally different things for their immune system because our bodies are different. We are the variable.
1: How long did it take for your doctor to start saying, wait a minute, how are you doing so well?
2: I think the time that she noticed that the most and had to say something because it was in black and white in front of her. Uh, was at one point, and and I might have to go look at my records. I'm trying to remember how long after the first bone marrow biopsy, because I said, how do you follow this? And she said, well, we'll have to do another bone marrow biopsy to see how many of the, what what percentage of blast cells are still in you. You know, hopefully we're slowly killing them off with these chemicals. And I don't remember how many months it was that she said it's time for the second bone marrow biopsy. It might have been Two months afterwards. It might have been three months afterwards. I mean, it's been quite a while. Uh, so I went in for a second bone marrow biopsy, and then we had a meeting with her, and uh, she had the results there. And she said, we, we look at something called blasts. I still haven't looked them up to read more about exactly what blasts are. But she said, your, uh, uh, your first biopsy showed 60% blasts, and the second one showed 4%. And I said, and again, in my age group, with what you're doing with me, it's how often do you see that kind of improvement? And she looked at my wife and I and said, never. I've never seen that before. She said, what, what your body is doing, uh, it's, it's the way it's benefiting and fighting this. I've never seen that before. So that's the first time that I knew and she knew.
1: Well, that's really cool. Did you do the uh, I told you so dance? Or were you more uh, no. reserved about it?
2: No, I you know I, I I wanted her to be willing, which a lot of doctors are not, and I hear this from patients all the time. I wanted her to be willing to continue to allow me to be her patient, run tests on me that I wanted run or that she wanted run, and I didn't want an adversarial relationship where she thought I was being angry at her. So you know there were discussions that we had, but they never got heated in the hospital. Uh, I think the fourth day I was there. Uh, my wife was bringing me my dinner, so i didn 't have to eat the crap that the hospital food serves. I tried one of their steaks once and I spat it out i couldn 't chew that many times before something was swallowable huh? so uh, their their breakfasts i could I could deal with because even though it wasn 't the quality. I would have had at home. They made a pretty good omelet with all the things I wanted in there. And although it wasn't raw grass-fed milk, they did have whole milk. I was afraid they'd only have two percent. And until my wife started bringing me my raw milk in a thermos, you know, I would have that. Uh, but for dinner, my wife would bring me my food, and she'd bring me a little baggie with my thirty or thirty-five supplements. And I think it was the fourth day. One of the nurses was there. As I was eating dinner, and my wife was handing me the pills with every few mouthfuls of food to slowly swallow the 30 or 35 pills, and the nurse said, "You can't, you can't do that." And I don't know if it was my wife or, or, or me that said, "We can't do what? I can't have dinner? No, no, no. You can't give him anything, and he's not allowed to receive a pill uh, that isn't disp- dispensed by us." And I, my wife said, "I've been." bring these in every day. These are the same things he'd be taking at home. That may be, ma'am, but you can't do that. It has to be dispensed by us and approved by the pharmacist. She said, can I give him the rest of tonight? She said, yes, but I'm going to have to have the pharmacist come up here. So sometime in the next hour or two, their head pharmacist came into my room, very nice lady, and she said, it's our insurance. If somebody ends up having a side effect or some kind of interaction because of something that, You give them that you don't realize interacts with something we're giving them, we are liable because it was given to them in the hospital. That's the reason we have to dispense all this stuff. And I said, Well, if you want to give me all my pills, I have no problem with that, but I mean, I'm the one that decides which pills. And she said, Well, there are some pills that, that, you know, uh, some substances that interact with our stuff. And I said, Look, this is my specialty interactions of things with your drugs are most likely known better by me than they are by you. I said, let me give you an example. Yeah. If, you have, if you have somebody on blood pressure medication, you will tell them you may not eat or drink any grapefruit or grapefruit juice. And she said, yeah, you're right. And I said, and you'll tell them that that's because it interacts with your drugs. And she said, that's correct. I said, well, that's what you've been told, but you've been misled. It doesn't interact with your drugs at all. What grapefruit and grapefruit juice do, because it's been studied, is it reduces the efficiency of the cytochrome P450 detoxification pathways, and therefore the body does not eliminate the blood pressure meds at the same speed that it would have had you not had that grapefruit. And so it builds up to a toxic level, and even though you're giving them what should be the proper amount for what you're treating, They're really getting much more than that because it's not being dispensed out of the body fast enough, and it could kill them. But you've been told it interacts. I could give you two or three other examples also. So I understand what does and doesn't interact. Trust me, nothing I'm taking will in any way do anything except support what we are all trying to do. Now, I understand most patients wouldn't have been able to go over this with her the way I did, but when she realized, and I told her what I do for a living and how many people I've, you know, know, helped... Uh, I don't mean how many, I've never counted. But uh, she ended up being very nice and said, I understand. We are still required to dispense them. So what I need you to do is have your wife bring in all the bottles and one of the nurses will come in and they will go over the bottles. They'll type them in and you'll tell us whether this is one pill or two pills or three pills or a tablespoon or whatever. We'll write it down and we will dispense them for you. She didn't ask me every single thing that I was taking. One or two, you know, she asked me about, and I explained them to her. And so I had no trouble continuing to take all of my stuff. But I understand somebody else might not have been able to get that result.
1: Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's really cool that you did that. And it's nice you did it in a way where it wasn't a fight and it wasn't adversarial, you know?
2: It 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 never helps, you know. I mean, I'll I'll call up a company to place an order for something and, you know, I'm giving them 15 products that I'm I'm bringing in, and the woman on the phone will say, "Uh, geez, I'm sorry, but such and such is on back order. We don't expect it in for three weeks. And I go, well, then ship everything else out, and I guess I'll get that as soon as you get it. And over and over again, I've had people say, I've never had anybody be so nice. Everybody jumps up and down. They're screaming, what do you mean it won't be in for three weeks? I need this terrific. And I go, well, tell me, whether it's going to get it for me any faster if I'm nasty to you. You're trying to help me. And the person on the phone says, no, of course it won't. She said, As a matter of fact, I might put a note on there, the person was nasty, and they'll hold yours uh, longer than when it comes in. You won't be the first order filled. I said, exactly. So there's no purpose in doing something in a way that makes something that didn't have to be an argument into an argument. And I've had lots of places that I deal with say, you are one of the nicest health practitioners we ever have to deal with on the phone.
1: Well, that's good. I guess uh, it gets you a lot further, as you can see. You know?
2: Yeah. Well, there's, there's an old statement, I think. You get more bees with honey than with uh, vinegar or something like that. And yeah, be, be nice to people. It's, you know, and I call people up and they say, this is going to take me a couple of minutes to find out for you. And I go, I've got plenty of time. I would never call somebody if I don't have time. And they go, geez, I wish everybody else would be like that. They go, oh, I go, why are you calling somebody? You don't even know how long you're going to be on hold. If you're having somebody help you, be patient and don't call when you can't be patient. It just doesn't make sense. Plus, of course, it increases your stress level, which reduces your immune function.
1: So what, I don't know, did you learn any new lessons from going through this experience? Or was it just a, a, re- a reassertion, a reaffirmment of uh, what you already know in terms of health?
2: Well, I learned how uh, understaffed the hospitals were. This is, this is a little disgusting, but I was told, because I was out of breath, I understand this, never to try and get out of bed to go to the restroom. I was in a private room. I had my own bathroom. It was, I don't know, 10, 15 feet away. And so uh, they had me connected to something for urination. So I never had to get out of bed. You just urinate and it would be sucked up into this bag up on the wall. But, you know, when I had to have a bowel movement, um, I had to get out of bed. And so, you know, I would push the button as they instructed me to, the call button, Uh, and something comes up on some screen out at some nurse's station somewhere on the floor, and uh, somebody eventually gets on the speaker that I can hear in my room and says, what can we do for you? And I would have said, I need help getting to the bathroom. Well, of the first three or four times that that happened, uh, one of those times, uh, nobody got into my room for five, six, seven minutes, by which time I was already giving up on them, standing up, trying to get to the bathroom, and taking a crap on the floor because I couldn't wait any longer. And it was disgusting, and I hated it, and I was very angry. And so the next time somebody said, the next, you know, the, the nurses uh, shifts changed like every eight hours, and they said, remember, if you have to get out of bed, you know, press this button. And I said, no way. Sorry, I'll press the button if I want something from you, but if it's because I have to go to the bathroom, I'm not pressing the button. I've already crapped on the floor here once because of how long it took. Oh well, we'll I will watch your stuff, and I'll have them tell me immediately that won't happen to me. So. I believed that particular nurse, and one more time, I pressed the button, and one more time, I went on the floor because of how long it took, and that was the last. I I said, forget this. She said, we could bring in a porta potty that goes right next to the bed so you can get to it easily, and that's what I did until I had enough strength to just disconnect myself and walk into the bathroom. So, uh, you know, I got to experience the problems that hospitals have. They have, I mean, I'm not their only patient. I understand that. Just don't tell me I have to do this. I have to do that, and I got to see it firsthand. And I got to see firsthand what my patients have told me where they wanted to bring their dad the supplements I had him on or their mom or their grandmother or their sister or their brother. And they said, you can't give them those. And now I understand that the answer to you can't give them those is not to get angry. It's to say, these are the supplements that the nutrition expert I'm working with says my whoever it is, you know, mother, dad, sister, whatever, need to be on all the time. He has told me that they will not interact with any of your drugs. Who do we need to speak to to get them approved? Again, you have to be nice. Now, I don't know if there are some doctors out there that would be, I don't know what, bitches and bastards, whatever word somebody wants to use, and would say, I'm sorry, we don't allow anything to be given, uh, but obviously, that's not true. I mean, I'm a very good example of it. it's not true. They don't allow anything to be given. They have to dispense it. And maybe the uh, pharmacist needs to look at it and make sure it's not something that they believe interact. But if you're nice, you might get the results you want. So I, I learned that, which is uh, pretty important. Uh, anything else I learned when I was there? I learned that they have music therapy. Somebody asked me would I like music therapy. I said, I don't know. I've never heard of it. She said, well, we have a music therapist that goes around uh, different days during the week and plays music for you in your room. I said, sounds fascinating. I love live music, of uh, course.
1: As long as it's not a harp, you would be okay. Yeah.
2: So a couple days later, a woman comes in with a little portable guitar and a little amplifier and a chair. And uh, she said, I'll be your music therapist today. Uh, What type of music do you like? I said, folk. And I rattled off a whole bunch of different uh, names, you know, Peter Paul and Mary, John Denver, Judy Collins, Joni Mitchell, et cetera, et cetera, And she picked a song and sang it. And I started singing it with her. And we picked another one and we sang it together. And the third one, we sang it together. And I said, I got a question for you. How many times when you're playing this for somebody, do they sing it with you? I got the same answer that I got with the biopsies. Never. She said, and I said, Why? She said, they're in worse condition than you. They don't sing, and they can't. They're just listening. So I, I had her come back as many times as she was able, which was like every, uh, at least once a week. And, um, and that was nice. I didn't know there was such a thing. So I yeah, learned well, that
1: that's cool. But, yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of um, how you help your your current patients and how you work with your own health, did anything change after this experience?
2: no not really all the things that i do are based on either science or a combination of science and muscle testing to be, make it you know specific for that patient you know it was was interesting muscle testing through a surrogate to see what things i needed to be on because i was already taking 30 to 35 pills a day but now i had to uh, test a whole bunch of different immune products, a whole bunch of different mushrooms, a whole bunch of different herbs. There's a very interesting field of science called hormesis, H-O-R-M-E-S-I-S, hormesis. And um, and hormesis is also used in radiation. I'm not sure if I should even call it therapy, but there are hormesis stones sold by only one company in the world, as far as I know, night hawk minerals. And they had told me, and I I carried some of them, that if you have cancer, sometimes wearing one of these slightly radioactive stones that isn't even more radioactive than certain parts of our planet where people live, that it triggers the body to have its immune system work harder because of sensing to work against the radioactivity. So I tested myself, should I be wearing a hormesis stone? And I got a yes answer. So I pulled out about 20 different levels of hormesis stones and tested them all. And I'm still wearing right now today, as I talk to you, the one that I test for. But uh, you know, it was just, I mean, it's just interesting. I didn't learn any new products. I mean, I'm always looking for products. I'll never stop. If somebody contacts me and says, our stuff is the best, I know it isn't because everybody is told to say their stuff is the best or maybe believes it. But I will always say, look, you're the rep for this company. You would love me to carry your products. That's your job. I understand that. This is how I work. If you can't work that way, they'll never get into my office. If you are willing to send me little test vials or a single tablet or a single capsule in a little baggie labeled so I know what they are and what they are for, then I will test 20 or 30 patients over the next three or four months who would normally benefit by that type of product. And I will make sure that in addition to the one or two or five or 10 or 15 products that I have for that category, I will test yours also. And if one single patient ever tests better for your product than the ones that I've discovered and now use over the last three decades, then I will order them and keep them here because I always want the best for everybody. And most companies say no problem. Some send me full bottles, some send me a capsule or two. And that's how I decide what I'm going to put somebody on, and whether or not a new product is something that's good. So like when some health practitioner, a dentist actually, that I had taught, I teach for the American College of Integrative Medicine and Dentistry, which is a private college in New York that certifies dentists to be holistic naturopathic dentists. And I teach the nutrition portion of their 14-month program. They fly me in twice a year. And one of the uh, dentists emailed me one day and said, are you familiar with CellCore? I think it's CellCore Bioscience. And I said, no. And she said, uh, their products seem really, really good. I'd like your opinion. And so I called them up, told them who I was. They sent me a muscle test kit. And I found uh, about five of their products, of their maybe 30 or 40 products that I now carry. And I'm on one of them. My wife is on one of them. Uh, those are the, the detox products. And hmm. you know, some people won't test for them. But but again, that's how I decide what I'm going to do with somebody. And it's, it's, very, uh, it's very specific to the person.
1: Yeah, can we talk about uh, detox for you know a brief period of time. When patients come to you, how do you tell what's, what's ailing them in terms of detox needs?
2: Well, the first thing, everybody gets tested for which kidney and which liver support product their body wants to use. Because when we detox, there are only a few different ways that we can release poisons. We can release them through our breath as we breathe. We can release them through our skin as we sweat. We can release them through our urine in our stool. But most of those are going through and being processed, our liver and our kidneys unless somebody only has one kidney. And it's one, then, they're, then it's one kidney instead of kidneys. And so before I can do any other detox, I've got to get their kidneys and their liver working well enough because that in effect is detoxing those organs and preparing them for any other detox I do so it doesn't further overload their body. So everybody goes on kidney and liver support. Usually a second appointment is in two months. And most often by two months, Not always, (laughs) but most often by two months, we've gotten enough kidney and liver support that I can then test them for a bunch of detox agents, of which I've got, I don't know, 40 or 50, and see which one their body or which ones their body can now handle, and we start pulling out other poisons. And there's, you know, all sorts of different things. People have to drink adequate water. You know, they don't have to go nuts, but they have to drink adequate water. How much is that? It depends on their diet. You know, I drink uh, 10 quarts a week of raw grass-fed, double fat, whole milk. And in that product, my body can use the water very easily out of that product because it's raw and hasn't been processed or, you know, pasteurized or homogenized. So, I don't need to drink as much water as other people. I'm getting a bunch from that. But most people, most people would do best with somewhere between a quart, which is about a liter, and two quarts a day, uh, unless they're sweating. If they're sweating, if they're doing exercise, then it goes up and they have to do more. And it's It's actually interesting because, you know, I look back not too many months ago when I couldn't walk 10 feet, and my brother decided to fly in and visit me because he wanted to make sure he got to see me in case I did die. He said, I'm not flying anywhere during this COVID nonsense. Forget about it. But he said, for you, I want to come in and visit you. So he came. He flew in from Florida, and he was in the U.S. Open for pickleball in his age group, and he told me all about pickleball that I'd never heard of. So I tried uh, when he flew in. I was, you know, sort of in between healthy, where I am now and uh, horrible where I was at the beginning. And so he played pickleball with uh, one of my wife's clients and said, why don't you come try? And I said, I don't know, but I'll give it a try. If I... And I you know, did very, very little, and then was out of breath and had to sit down. But it was fun enough that I decided to take it up, and I now play pickleball once a week. And I played pickleball on Monday for two straight hours and never had a problem because this is the new body that I've developed.
0: Um, yeah, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, very, very different. That I, I Now I'm, I'm in so much better shape. It's absolutely amazing. But how long, did it take that you to,
1: had, how long did it take you to get to the point where you were 100% feeling good, or like yourself?
2: Well, I was released from the hospital after 29 days. And my first day in the hospital was either the last or second to last day of August. So basically September 1st, sort of. I think it was August 30th, 31st. I was when I was, I was discharged. And I noticed beautiful improvements, you know, as the weeks went by, I got to the point that, uh, and these are silly little things, but I had to sit down to urinate because I didn't have the strength to stand up. You know, women sit down, men stand up. I couldn't. And after I'd been home for a couple of weeks and was slowly recovering better and better, all of a sudden, one day I walked into the bathroom and I'm, you know, using the bathroom and I realized I was standing up and I went, oh my God. That's the first time I've been able to stand up and urinate in, you know, months. And it just slowly got better and better and better. And there were larger improvements for the first month and a half. And there was a physical therapist that would come over here, and he said, I've never seen anybody with the kind of improvements that you show me. He said, this is not what we normally see. Uh, And then the nurse that came over from home health said, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. You're in so much better shape than anybody. I visit people, they're in their bed on IVs. You're walking around the house and talking like a healthy person. I understand you can't run up the block. Of course, now I could. But your question was, how long did it take before I felt 100% totally normal, even if some of my labs weren't? That would be somewhere between, that would be right around three weeks ago. So people can calculate that based on the dates I gave.
1: That's amazing. So under six months, huh?
2: Yep, which is very, very nice. And I just, I, I just now, about a week and a half ago, stopped all of my medications. So the two medications they had me on, where I was going to an infusion center in the hospital, first every four weeks, then as I got much, much better every five weeks, and just sitting there for an hour while they put this the uh, uh, backogen into my into my vein for five days in a row, every four weeks, and then as I was better every five weeks. The last one I got of those was a couple weeks ago, and then I... I you know, emailed the oncologist and said, I'm at that point. Now it's time to stop uh, everything. Uh, I'm not going to, there's no sense in scheduling my next infusions five weeks from now because I feel fine. And she said, okay, well, you told me that you were going to do that. So let's stop everything. So I stopped taking my pills and I stopped the infusions. And so now I'm just on my stuff.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, so I guess you're the only patient of this oncologist that, uh, that recovered this completely or what did she say?
2: yeah she's never she's never seen this this rate of recovery obviously i haven't reached i haven't reached her 2 year mark so when i told her you know i intend to live to be uh over 100 and uh, i still remember her her email answer because it was so cute she said i am the forever optimist i hope you were correct but we've never seen that it always comes back and of course that's because you know and and people need to understand this the reason cancer pretty much with very few exceptions always comes back, unless the person dies of a car accident before they get the cancer back, is because your immune system was not working well enough to prevent you from getting cancer. Okay, that's a given if the person has cancer. Now, all of the things that you were or weren't doing that made it so your system wasn't working well enough to prevent it, uh, those don't generally get changed in people unless they come and work with somebody good, me or a bunch of other different people. I mean, I'm sure as hell not the only person out there that, that works with people, but unless they make some major enough changes that had they been doing their life that way before, they wouldn't have gotten the cancer, unless those are the kind of changes, you know, which includes supplements and which includes, uh, you know, uh, eating mostly or totally organic and cutting out the things that are or become sugar, which is three categories, sugars, starches, and alcohol. Uh... Since they haven't made those changes, of course the cancer is going to come back, because the only changes that have been made to their immune system are the things that depressed it even further, which are the toxic drugs that were necessary to try and turn it around a little bit and save their life, but they killed more healthy cells than they did cancer cells, and so although they may have saved their life temporarily, they've increased the likelihood of them getting cancer, and that's the reason almost everybody gets their cancer back in the next two or three years, sometimes faster than that. And it's the reason that the medical profession decided if we ever want to be able to say we've cured anybody and not look totally stupid, we have to pick a time that isn't too long. Because if we say you have to die and not die of the cancer, that's not good enough. Everybody's going to die of the cancer. If we said 10 years, that's not good enough. Almost every single person that's ever had cancer and we got rid of it with them or, you know, pulled it out with surgery, they're going to have it back. So they chose five years, a bunch of years ago. uh, And what they do is they follow people that have ever been diagnosed with cancer. And on the date of your fifth year anniversary, if you don't believe you have cancer, if the doctor doesn't say you have cancer, they're not still treating you for it, you get put into the cured statistic. But what's sad, because it's an out-and-out, down-route down route lie, is that if the next week you start feeling pain somewhere, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, ooh, that's in the area that you had your cancer, or wherever it is, we better do a PET scan, or we better do an MRI. And so they do a scan, and they go, I hate to t- tell you this, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, whatever, uh, but there's 25 cancer tumors in your body, and I guess they just got large enough that you could feel them. Doctor, how long... Based on what you just saw in there, how long do you think they've been there? Uh, Based on how many there are, uh, two and a half years, three years. So you've been put into the cured category because at the five-year mark, they thought you were still cured. And five years and a week or a day or whatever, an hour, uh, you find out you are filled with metastases everywhere. They don't pull you out of the cured statistic because if they did that, they'd have almost none there. And so they need to be able to lie to the public and it's really, it's really disgusting.
1: Well, I've seen five-year survival rates for cancers. So what does that tell you? If you translate that to real, real, real data or real whatever, yeah, real data, what does that mean? When the, well,
2: when well the, that's when accurate the because if somebody is surviving, they're alive. So if you've got a thousand people that had cancer five years ago, and I'm going to make these figures up. These are not coming out of any study. And out of those thousands of, thousands of people that had cancer diagnosed five years ago, 500 of them are in horrible condition in the hospital dying of cancer and will probably be dead within the next couple of months. And of the remaining 500, some are being treated again and they still, you know, they've got their cancer. But maybe there's only five that are actually cancer free. That's still a thousand people that have survived five years. It's not telling you what condition they're in, so you have to be careful and understand the wording that's being used, or we get lied to.
1: How do you get data on what percentage of people actually go into remission or go get to the point where they just don't get cancer back for you know how How long would it take for you to say or someone to say, "All right, the cancer's really gone? five years, ten years, twenty years.
2: Well, as far as medicine is concerned, yeah, medicine, they they want five years. After five years, if you're clear, even though they may not realize you're not clear, uh, they're going to say you're cured. But depending on the type of cancer, that would vary the type of test that they would have to do. See, it's very, very interesting. If you have a condition, let's take the flu or strep throat. I mean, I could pick anything, but I'll pick those two. And uh, two weeks from now, after either... uh, drinking good water, getting enough rest, and taking a lot of vitamin C and vitamin A, it's gone. Or with somebody else, it's on antibiotics, whatever it may be. After two weeks, you're well. You're considered cured. And if the next year you get that exact same strep throat or that same staph infection or that same flu, again, no doctor on the planet earth will say, yeah, it came back. You didn't get rid of it. It came back. They'll never say that. They only say that with cancer to save face because it didn't come back. That's a lie. It didn't come back in the same way that the flu didn't come back and your cold didn't come back and your sore throat didn't come back. Nobody would say that. They said, yeah, I got another sore throat. Damn it, I got the flu three years in a row. Nobody would ever say it came back. But they're trying to save face. They need to be able to say not that what they did didn't work. So if they say it came back, then that's on you. We didn't get all of it. It was still there. It came back as opposed to, you know, it was cured. I mean, to me, it's their way of misrepresenting what's really going
1: on. Interesting. So, I mean, what would you call it when someone actually gets rid of a certain disease or condition versus what's happening normally or naturally or uh, those words don't even serve? But what's typically happening versus what uh, your description of what's happening?
2: Well, I mean, if, if the condition is gone and the person feels totally normal and there isn't a single currently available lab test that can show that that condition, in any way, shape, or form, is still there, then whether it was medicine, their body, or a combination of both, they've been cured. Very, very simple. They've been cured. And if they get it again, it's not because it came back. It's because they got it again because their body still wasn't able to prevent it from happening.
1: Well, if there's if if there's a particular kind of cancer. And some people, after let's say five, six, seven, eight years, they feel totally fine they They show no symptoms of any problems or anything. Have they actually gotten rid of the cancer, or what do you think has happened to those people?
2: If they feel totally fine and every single test that medicine can do, which varies depending on the type of cancer, shows that they are cancer free then then they 've gotten rid of the cancer but very likely because the Uh, And then one of the ways that that medicine will say, well, no, the reason we know it came back is because it's still breast cancer or because it's still prostate cancer or because it's still whatever cancer. And well, well, yeah, but you see, that was your body's weak cellular point. So that's the kind of cancer you got. So yeah, it's still your weak cellular point. So the same type came back. And maybe it looks the same in their testing and microscope, but that doesn't mean you weren't cured before. It just means you didn't do enough of the right things afterwards.
1: If someone has a particular kind of cancer, I, I'm pretty sure I know your answer. Traditional medicine. So let's say someone went to another naturopath or another functional medicine doctor and they had uh, thyroid cancer. And it was okay. uh, seven years ago and they feel fine. And they're just going to this doctor and they just want to feel good and you know be in good shape and detox and all that stuff. Would a typical practitioner say, oh, okay, because you had thyroid cancer, we're going to put you on this kind of detox. And would you instead say, well... Doesn't matter what happened in the past. We're just still going to test because we don't know what the current situation is. And just because this happened in the past, the yeah, thyroid cancer doesn't mean that you should have these these supplements or these detoxes. That doesn't necessarily correlate. Is that that's accurate? correct?
2: Yeah, that, that's correct. Met- medicine might do that. Somebody that works the way I work uh, treats the whole person, not some condition that they had.
1: Okay. All right. I got gotcha. you.
2: And, and of course, you know there are a lot of things that people can do to reduce their risks of getting neurological diseases, autoimmune diseases, and cancer. That's, the, that's the, uh, the, the big conglomeration of things that all of the things we do wrong increases your risk of. But a lot of people aren't willing. And, you know, here I'm a good example of somebody that did almost all of them except one, and I ended up with cancer. You know, but but again, that's that's just I'm I'm uh, in in research in research studies that would be called an an n of one. Uh, But there's no wireless in my house. There's no wireless in my office. Everything is hardwired. I had an electrician run cables from where the internet comes in. All my phone lines are hardwired. I don't have wireless in my house because unlike the public, who gets their information from the media, I go to the scientists. So I went to the International Electromagnetic Field Conference and listened to the scientists going over the research from the last 40 years that they've done, showing how toxic Wi-Fi is, how toxic cell phones are, how toxic cordless phones are, and all of the published research that none of the media brings to us. And I take some of that and some of their presentations that I like by some of the good scientists, and I put it in the wireless section of my website. So if somebody says there isn't any research, they can go listen to some of the scientists. But even though I've done all that, I mean the difference might be that had I not, you know, had I lived with Wi-Fi, which I never have, never, had I lived with uh, cordless phones, which I never have, uh, you know, I don't even use a cell phone. I own one, it's turned off in my glove compartment of my car when I go out of town. I take it with me in a charger, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I go back into my room, find where I stuck my cell phone, which I did not carry around with me, uh, even though everybody else is. So, yeah, theirs are bothering me, but, you know, mine isn't. Everything you can do is a help. And I turn it on, walk around my entire room to find the best signal. If I don't get any place where I can get pretty much all the bars lit, then I may go downstairs and walk outside because what people aren't told although the information is out there, is that your cell phone is a computer and it puts out a stronger and stronger and stronger, as it gets stronger, it's more dangerous, signal based on how close you are to the nearest cell tower. So if you have two bars and you're on a phone call, it's much more damaging to your body than if you have five bars. If they're all lit, it puts out a lot less signal because it's conserving battery strength. All sorts of little things, and I've done all of that, and I still got cancer. And somebody will say, "Look at that! You did everything, you still got cancer. Why should I bother?" That's a
0: very exactly. poor idea.
2: That's that's like that's like driving down a road someplace, and you happen to see three or four people who are uh, running tires that are almost bald, and you go, "Yeah, why should I replace my tires? They're not." Because the next time uh, you it, hit it, a little bit of water and skid, you're going to have an accident and die.
1: Yeah, I mean, i you know probably a common example like what a. You know, when you're feeling good and or when you're feeling okay, everything's fine. You you don't want to worry about anything. And then, you know, if you get really sick or something bad happens, all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I got to fix this. But just naturally over time, you stop worrying, you stop thinking, oh no, there's imminent problems, and you go back to the way you were and you forget. It Seems like yeah. that's what happens with everybody.
2: Well, again, it it depends. It always depends on uh, knowledge level as well as your And I'll I'll give it a word, fanaticism, to be able to do or be whatever it is you're trying to be. You know, uh, I I looked when I went online after I got home and started searching leukemia. I found a research study that showed that a a study was done that the people that were drinking, drinking depleted deuterium water lived longer than the people that were drinking regular water. Okay, I know what depleted deuterium water is. i would uh, seen some lectures on it. Very expensive. I added it in. I looked at all the different ones. I found the one that's the best of all, which is called Lite, L-I-T-E, light water. Uh, and I now drink 16 ounces of light water every day. I, I squeeze a half of a lemon into it, uh, into a glass, and then I take the light water and it goes into my refrigerator when it's really cold. It goes into uh, something called the dolphin. The uh, dolphin is a, uh, a seltzer maker made by uh, SodaStream, and I make it into depleted deuterium seltzer water, and I add uh, 10 drops of Stevita brand stevia, and then I pour in the seltzer, and I have a delicious carbonated uh, lemonade. But I wouldn't have done that otherwise. Deuterium water de- cool. de- de- is very expensive. But here's a research study published, well done, showing that adding that in, and people can go and read about deuterium, that adding that in to reduce your deuterium level was not just extending the life of all sorts of animals, but it was helping people with leukemia. I said, okay, I'll add it. I mean, everybody gets to decide what they want to add into what they're doing. Up to them.
1: Yeah. Last question, and then I want to ask people how they can reach you. I've recently been interviewing people on microplastics. What are the pollutants or toxins that people will get, uh, really no matter what they do? You know, do they include microplastics? Like, what what have you seen that uh, is getting into people that you know, just by living and walking around and existing and driving places, and working in offices, they're getting.
2: I think the best thing for people to do, because it's an eye opener to read this, there's a non, big nonprofit group called EWG.org. It's the Environmental Working Group. And back in 2003, I believe, they funded a very, very important study called Body Burden the pollution in people. And they couldn't find a lab to test for the hundreds of different poisons they wanted to test for because none of them test for all of them. There, Every single poison has a different type of test that has to be done. So they contracted with labs around the world to be able to test for all the things they wanted to test for. Then they got, I believe it was 12 people and they took fat biopsies because most of us store poisons predominantly in our fat cells. And they divided each one up into the number of labs that they had and sent them out to all these labs around the world to identify all the poisons they could. And they wrote this whole thing up on all the different poisons everybody had. uh, I'm not sure if my memory is right on this. I think everybody had at least 68 different poisons in them, which included things like DDT that had been outlawed decades before they were still there. And when somebody says, well, come on, what's really in us? I say, you need to read Body Burden, the Pollution, in People. And if that gets you really interested after you've read it, then you need to read their next study that came out five years later called Body Burden, the Pollution in Newborns, because they wanted to see how many pollutants were in the fetus before it was even born coming in from mom. So they collected umbilical cords and they analyzed those. Another fantastic study. It's a little hard to find on their website. I asked them once, could I put them both on my website? They said, no, it's copyrighted. So if you can't find the full study, not a little you know, disclosure of it or something, if you can't find the full study for body burden, the pollution in people, or body burden, the pollution in newborns, call up EWG. Their number is there on their website, EWG.org, and say you'd really like to, to read those. Can you either give me a link to them or send them to me so I can read them? And they will. And I'm going to try again and see if they can let me put them on my site.
1: Yeah, I read the two papers and uh, I couldn't believe that there was, you know, hundreds of different chemicals in cord blood that affect, uh, you know, babies before they're even born, and it's it's insane. You know,
2: it's really, insane. Really crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, very good, uh, David. There's a ton more I could ask you, but I, you know, we're going long here. From what I saw, your practice was closed because you were taking care of your own health, but it's going to be a reopening, I believe, in May. Yes. Right? As a
2: matter of fact, May, May is almost full already with patients calling me up and saying, I hear you're, gonna be, you're taking appointments in May. I want one. So I think I've probably got three or four left in May, and then it'll be June. But yes, I'm taking appointments in May. The best way to get in touch with me is either to call me on my public phone number, which is on my website, but it's uh, 619-441-8700. And uh, my policy is I work Tuesday through Saturday, Tuesday from 10 to 6 and Saturday from 10 to 5. If I'm in my office, or actually my home, because my home is licensed as a business, so you know, it's just one building. If I'm here, and I'm not on the phone, and I'm not busy with a patient sitting here, and that phone rings, I pick it up. You know, Sometimes a patient that I've had for six months, I pick up the phone, they go, Oh, my God, really? I didn't think you ever answered your phone.
1: Uh-huh. They, don't, they
2: don't understand. If I'm not on another call, and I don't have a patient here, I will always pick up the phone. It's one less call to return, for crying out loud. So, you know, that's one way to get me. But I won't take a lot of time with somebody on the phone because, I mean, I'm not making any money. I'll answer a couple questions. If somebody wants to know what it would take to get in to see me, they first have to go to my website. Up on the top, there's a bunch of words that go across it. You want to click on the one that says initial consultation. And two things pop up, very simple. An audio file of me talking about the initial consultation. you got to listen to that whole thing. It's, I think it's 15 minutes. And then after that, you have to read all the text that's underneath it because that's not a duplication. That's additional information I didn't put in the audio. And after you've done all that, now you know all the things that I need you to know before I see you. And Then you can call up and say, I listened. I read all the stuff in the text. I'd like to schedule an initial consultation. If somebody calls me up and said, yeah, I, I did all that. What do you charge? I go, you didn't do all that or you, would, you wouldn't be asking me that question. Go do it. Yeah. Or I did all that. How long is your consultation? You didn't do it. I'm trying to save myself time. If they want to email me, but I don't know how much time I always have to get emails, you know, back to people. uh, They can email me through my website. The email address, direct email address, is naturopath. So that's N A T U R O P as in Paul A T H. The the numeral four. Y O U at gmail.com. And you know, sometimes I get a lot of emails. Sometimes I get a few. If somebody asks me zillions of questions, I'm not going to answer them all. You're not my patient. I'm not making any money on that. And, and I got other things to do. I'm busy. But those are the two ways to get me.
1: Makes sense. Well, very good. David, it was great to speak to you again. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Oh, you're welcome. And actually, I'll give you one piece of information because I just determined it and people need to know it. For years and years and years and years, my favorite multivitamin company has been Super Nutrition in California. And uh, they decided, uh, the woman that, that owned it, uh, decided it was time to retire. It was too much work. She sold it uh, to a company to continue it. They decided not to continue it. They sold it to another company that isn't a manufacturer. They sold it to iHerb. iHerb doesn't manufacture anything. iHerb just resells stuff. So now all of a sudden they're putting a formula together and having somebody manufacture it. And when I tested it, it didn't test as well as the old formula, which is not surprising. Because Supernutrition was a nut about finding the exact quality of every one of the hundreds of ingredients in there and retesting them no matter what the manufacturer said and refusing many of them and everything. And IRB is not a manufacturer. So I no longer recommend Supernutrition's products since they're now being sold and made by IRB. So I've been taking the last month and a half trying to find another multivitamin. It won't be right for everybody, we're all different. We are the variable, as I said, you know, uh, earlier. Uh, but I wanted to find another really, really good high-potency multivitamin. And I just finally well, did very good. it a week ago. And it's the Ultra Preventive X from Douglas Laboratories. And in tablets, it's two twice a day with meals. And in capsules, it's four twice a day with meals. Very good. And, yeah, just wanted to let people know that because a lot of people listen well, to you. again, thank yeah. you
1: for all your wisdom.
2: You're very welcome. If you like this podcast...